You're listening to the Journey to Launch podcast, how to survive and thrive in the current financial market turmoil and better position yourself financially with Jackie Cummings-Koski. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant. As a money expert who walks her talk, she helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth. Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, 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 journeyers. I am, as I always am, excited for you to be joining us today. So before we hop into the episode, let me tell you about today's sponsor of the podcast, Empower. I know how much work it is to juggle career, family, and money management. Look, I get it. As a full-time entrepreneur with three small kids, a husband, and me trying to keep up my friendships, working out, and staying healthy, your girl is tired. Plus, let's not even add on the craziness of the financial markets right now. Hashtag tired and over it. Empower is an awesome app that gives you back your valuable time by making money management and saving the easiest thing you do all day while allowing you to take more control over your financial future. For starters, Empower has an automated savings feature. I simply tell the app my weekly savings target and every day Empower studies my income and spending and automatically knows when to move the right amount of money into my savings account where it grows with unlimited withdrawals and no minimums. It's called autosave. Just set it and forget it. The app even tells me about upcoming payments that are due. So it's nice to have the app remind me because quite honestly, sometimes with my schedule, I forget. Yes, even me, Jamila, your chief launch officer, needs a reminder when a bill is due. I'm guessing you can use that kind of help too. Now, Empower has a nice human touch because let's face it, sometimes you need to talk to real living, breathing people for guidance. So just text Empower's human coaches who are on standby to share personalized recommendations and steer you through whatever financial questions that come up. If you want to save more than ever before, you got to check out Empower's app. Download Empower in the App Store or Play Store. I did, and over 650,000 other people have too. And for listeners of this show, that's Journeyers, get $5 when you use the code JOURNEY and reach your savings goal. Visit empower.me slash journey for more details. That's empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R dot M-E slash J-O-U-R-N-E-Y for more details. I am so, so excited for you to hear this week's episode of the podcast because I have a guest that really has a wonderful story, I think, to share of hope and what things could look like at the end of all of what's going on in the economy and world today. So I have Jackie Cummings-Koski on the podcast, and Jackie's actually been on the podcast before. She was on episode 40, and she came on the podcast to talk really about HSAs health savings accounts and how they are the ultimate retirement and investment account. So after you listen to this, go back and listen to episode 40, where Jackie broke down everything you need to know about HSAs. But I really didn't get a chance to hop more into Jackie's story at that time. And she does have a fascinating one of being a single mom. So she went from being married to getting divorced and being a single mom and really starting her journey to financial freedom and independence. Not only that, but she retired early at 49 last year. So she retired right before all of this happened with the market and the stock market crash. So she sent me an email and she was like, listen, I want to be able to share how I was able to not only prepare for this market crash, but how I am withstanding the market crash, like what I'm doing. And I just think it's a really timely episode, especially in times like this. If you're listening to this in real time, when this comes out in April of 2020, there is so much going on with the market right now so much uncertainty. And I want you to hear from someone right now what they're doing, like real time, how they're making it work, how financial independence still works for her. And it's a real story that people should hear. If you want the episode show notes for this episode, go to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this episode. In the show notes, you'll get the transcribed version of the conversation, the links that we mentioned, and so much more. 
Also, whether you are an OG journeyer or brand new to the podcast, I've created a free jumpstart guide to help you on your financial freedom journey. It includes the top episodes to listen to, stages to go through to reach financial freedom, resources, and so much more. You can go to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart to get your guide right now. Okay, let's hop into the episode. Hey, journeyers, I'm really, really excited to bring you this conversation that we're going to be having with Jackie Cummings Koski. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Jamila. How are you? Good. And so for my OG journeyers who have been here from the beginning or earlier, you've been on the podcast before on episode 40, talking all about HSAs, because when I first learned about your story online, I think we were like in the same Facebook groups and I saw how much you had saved in the health savings account, which if you want to know more about that journeyers, go back to episode 40. I was just amazed. And so you came on the podcast to talk more about how you saved so much in a SHA account. You educated listeners and journeyers on what that was and how it's like a super investment account. And then I knew that you had an incredible personal financial story. I know you were a single mom and you had at that time you were talking about retiring early. And so we didn't get into your story as much because we were focusing on HSAs back in that episode. But we are having this conversation now because one, you've retired early, right? Right, exactly. You retired early. I think your story from what I've heard so far, and I know you're going to go deeper into it, is amazing being a single mom and getting to this point to be able to retire early. And then on top of that, so this is like real time, real life stuff, guys. So right now we're all experiencing the financial market volatility and craziness and the coronavirus and all what's going on. Um, we're recording this at the end of March, but you, since you just retired, you were really in the middle of this and you reached out and you talked about what you're doing uh, and how you're withstanding the market with all these crazy changes. So I just thought, you know what, this is the perfect time to bring Jackie back on the podcast to talk more about her story and more about how the current financial crisis in, is impacting your early retirement life. So welcome back. <laughs> Thank you, Jamila. Thank you for the introduction. Um, yeah, I'm having to take deep breaths every day right now. But I retired on December 6, 2019. So roughly about three months before all of this started happening with the coronavirus, the market crash, basically, and just this huge economic downturn. So it was a very interesting moment for me. And I got asked a lot, you know, what are you doing? Because you just retired. Now, what are you going to do? And my my fears were more around what was happening as a whole, like with the economy, with the stock market, and, and more than anything with the health of everyone and, you know, our medical people that are on the front lines. That's more of my concern because financially, I did set it up for worst case scenario. Now, no one would have dreamed that we would be dealing with what we're dealing with right now. So before I retired, I would say about two years, I mean, I really started making sure I was putting things in place to cover these worst case scenarios. And the bulk of that was making sure that I had at least three years worth of living expenses in cash, liquid, and not in the stock market. So that's where I kind of started. So I don't know how long this is going to last, but I know that I'm good for at least three years doing nothing else. Right, right. There's a couple of angles here. There's one, how you were able to retire. So how old were you when you hit the early retirement lever or puller? I was 49 when I actually retired. But I reached my fine number, which I just calculate that 25 times my expenses. I hit that number about two to two and a half years prior, but I wasn't quite ready to retire at that point. Yes, yes. So I want to get more into the fine number and the, your conservative approach to that, because I know as people begin to listen and you know, a lot of people are not in the position to think about early retirement, right? There's so many things going on with people's income and jobs and some uncertainty. But what I do believe what will happen from this crisis is that there's going to be some opportunities here. And even if you are not able to capitalize or, you know, jump on investing opportunities right now, you can start to think about what your next 10 years looks like. And then hopefully a conversation like this, you can listen back to or draw back into some inspiration on what you can do to get into a better position for the next time this happens. 
can we go just a little bit back into your personal story and, and how you even got to the point? Because you just said you retired early at 49. You were able even before that to reach your 25 times expense number. So just for anyone who's listening in the financial independence, early retirement space, people talk about reaching this early retirement mark by saving and investing, having a portfolio of 25 times your annual expenses. So in theory, that means if you save 25 times what you want to spend in early retirement, you would then be able to retire because then you'll have this portfolio that you can draw down upon without ever having to actively work again. So you were able to do all these things. And so people are probably thinking like, well, first of all, how? <laughs> like what started you on this journey? How did you get to a point where you were able to save and invest that much over time? Okay. Yeah. We definitely have to kind of go back to the very beginning because I didn't have a whole lot to start with. Like I grew up in poverty in the South and I was raised by a single dad with six kids. So we not only live paycheck to paycheck, but, you know, sometimes barely knew where our next meal was coming from. I mean, he was he was amazing and he was a hardworking dad to be able to raise six kids successfully. So I have no idea how he did that. But I just remember thinking that I just didn't want to live like this when I got older and when I started having kids. So I decided to go to college and that was probably the first, I guess, measurable thing that I did to get out of poverty. And so I, it took me four years to get through school. And, and actually, my uh, dad, he, um, he got cancer about three months before I graduated from high school. So he never got to see me graduate. But I continued on to go to school and was able to get through. But I was, you know, having to get what scholarships I could get, having to get grants. But the rest I paid for out of pocket by myself by working full time. And eventually, you know, my grades, they definitely suffered when I was in college because I was working two jobs, you know, 40 to 50 hours a week and taking a full load. So it was really tough, but I did finish whatever the lowest GPA was that you could get the degree. That was me. Right. But I was so thrilled because I knew that degree would make a difference. And it certainly did. Maybe not right away, but. I was able to get a decent job. My first job out of college was working at Walmart he headquarters um, in Arkansas in communications. That was in my field. I got married and I had my daughter. And at this time, I'm in my 20s. But then after I'd been married for about 10 years, I got a divorce. So that kind of changed everything to me. And that was a big pivotal moment, you know, real financial epiphany for me. And I think that was the turning point where I said, okay, now it's just me and my daughter. What am I going to do? And that opened up my whole mind with, with knowing that I had to do something different. Right. So what did you major in when you were in college? I majored in communications and journalism. Okay. So it sounds like while you were working at Walmart corporate, you were in communications. So when you got divorced, were you still at the entire time in communication still? Not the whole time. He was in the military. And when he got out, we were more concerned about him. So we were in Arkansas for a little while. And then we ended up moving to Ohio. And as soon as I moved to Ohio, I was probably around 22, 23 at this time. But as soon as we moved to Ohio, I uh, found out I was pregnant. And I, I stayed with Walmart. So I was actually a manager at one of the stores. So it was kind of like in retail working crazy hours. But uh, I had my daughter and about another nine, 10 years, uh, you know, we had the nice, happy family and everything. And then uh, we ended up getting a divorce. Right. So and I always ask about like what people majored in. And I love talking about kind of the career trajectory just because I think it's super relatable for people if like they have a similar degree or especially if you pivoted because I know you got into like the financial um, space. So when you did get divorced, you were still working at Walmart or like what was your working situation, your career situation at that point? Yeah. So while I, I think when my daughter maybe was like three or four years old, I definitely needed to get away from retail, right? You're a young mom, you know, I've got my little baby and I'm, and I'm working on the holidays, right? Uh, in retail. So I ended up going to a few different companies and I landed at a company that's headquartered where I live now in Ohio. And that's where I've been for the last 20 years. So by the time I got divorced, I had been with that company, I would say probably close to 10 years. 
Okay. And in what field was that? That was, you know, out of all things, it was sales. I had gotten laid off of a job and I needed to find another job. And they had a position open and they were a really big company in this area. So when I started out, I mean, I think I was doing administrative stuff. It, it wasn't retail. It wasn't communications. But I was happy to, to ju- I'm one of those moms where I have to work. I have to be doing something. So outside the home. And so I started out as sort of like an admin type person, but very quickly ended up moving into sales. And basically, uh, it's a data analytics company. And I worked primarily with attorneys and law firms in the beginning. And then I kind of moved over to working more with like government agencies. So I had a long career there, about 20 years. Right. And so at what point during all of this did you come upon this financial independence goal that you developed? When did you know you wanted to retire early? Was that even in your sights and a goal back then? Or you just wanted to do the best you could for your daughter? Like, what was your thinking and and thought frame back then? Yeah, the whole retire early thing was the furthest thing from my mind. I just wanted to take care of my daughter. I wanted to be able to get her, give her a good life better than, you know, what I had growing up. I didn't really know what to do back then. So I just started saving as much as I could. I started putting money in my uh, 401k at work. And probably right after I got divorced, one of the first actionable things that I did is, first of all, I had to take a deep breath and figure out what did I like to do? What did I want to do? And I liked personal finance. I liked learning about money and taxes and investing. So I found this investment club. Um, They're um, supported by an organization called Better Investing, and they're a nonprofit. But I was talking to a friend of mine that was a coworker and she lived in Boston and she was telling me about it. And I said, well, let me check it out. So I went to a few of their meetings, wasn't really sure what it was all about. But the one thing I knew is that these were very smart people. They knew a heck of a lot more than I did about investing in the stock market. And I think I attended maybe three or four meetings and decided I wanted to join. And the one thing that that did for me is that it increased my comfort level with the stock market. And I wasn't afraid anymore. And that was one thing that I promised myself that I was going to learn about investing. I was going to learn about my money and not be afraid anymore. And so now we're rounding right around like 2007, 2008, right? That the time that we're having now, 2008 for me felt very similar because we didn't know what was going on, but that was around the time I started investing. Right, right. So talk a little bit about when you then discovered that you wanted to not just do, because here's the thing, like people will be like, okay, I want to pay off debt and be smart with my finances and invest. Everyone hopefully can get on that kind of level of thinking, but then to the next level to say, wait, I think I maybe be able to leave the workforce early. When did that start to come into play? Like for you? Well, I'll tell you what, that didn't start to come into play until maybe three or four years before I actually retired. I knew I was doing things right by maxing out my 401k, maxing out my health savings account, but I really didn't have like an overall picture of how this would lead me to retiring this early. Because in my mind, you know, I I always went by what we were told what retiring early was. It was like Social Security says a 62 and a lot of your retirement accounts you can't even get to until you're 59 and a half. And so by the time I started discovering the FIRE community, they debunked a lot of those like myths that I was told and and things that I thought were right. So I love that there was these smart people that was looking at things just a little bit different. And I just really dug in uh, because I think I was settled on 59. And when I started seeing that, oh, there's ways I can get money out of my account before I turn 59. And oh, I can live off of my money and I just need to make sure that I set it up right. So all these like little truth bombs that were coming at me, retiring at 49 started becoming closer and closer. I mean, the one thing I I probably knew one milestone that I wanted was for my daughter to be done with her schooling, like done with college. She's 24 now. So once that happened, there wasn't many more excuses. Mm hmm. You know, you were doing so many things without understanding or knowing like about this fire movement and retiring early, but you were already maxing out like your accounts, your 401k and your HSA and doing all these things. And so 
you didn't really know, like you wanted to do it because you knew that eventually like it will help you for traditional retirement and overall with your finances. But sometimes like we do these things and we don't know exactly why, but because we've done the things already, it sets us up for a better opportunity, which is why I always say to people like, it doesn't even matter if maybe you can't max things out, right? Or, you know, you can't pay all your debt off in a year. But the fact that you're taking steps to do a little bit more, to be a little bit more prepared, it will set you up for more opportunities that you don't even know. Like right now, you can't even fathom the opportunities waiting for you once you start this. Yeah, Jamil, that is such a good point because I did a lot of flailing around for a long time and barely knew what I was doing. I knew certain activities were right and I was moving in the right direction. Like I knew it was a good thing to max out my 401k. I knew it was a good thing to max out my Roth IRA. And and all this is on a a slightly above average salary. I was making about $80,000 a year my last 10 years of, of working. So I wasn't even making over six figures, but I understood how taxes work. So as I was maxing out my 401k, that was reducing my taxable income. And I was as I was maxing out my health savings account, that was reducing my taxable income. I mean, I doubt if I was even paying, you know, 10% in taxes by the time I was taking all those deductions. I would say about 10 years ago was sort of my mark, maybe 10 to 12 years ago, where I started wanting to dig into this. And I was a huge podcast listener. Back then, there was like four podcasts and I would rotate them, you know, in the subject of personal finance. Now, of course, there's hundreds, but I think I was sort of starting to discover the fire movement, like right on the cusp of it slowly coming out. So it was years that I would see as soon as a new podcast on what came out, boom, I was I was on it. As soon as yours came out, I'm like, yay, here's another one. So this was like five, six years, maybe where I'm seeing slowly more and more people talking about personal finance and then talking about financial independence and then talking about retiring early. So I'm definitely a student of podcasts and this, uh, and then other resources that help me better understand certain things. Now, today, if I went to dig into some of these topics, I would not have any trouble at all. But 10 years ago, there wasn't as much information available and I really had to dig. Right. How exciting is that? I just feel like so exciting for listeners, people, even if you're just coming upon this, um, no matter your starting point, that there's so much information out here for you. And no matter what your starting point, there is a way to do better. So I do have a question. So for you, right, was there anyone else? So what happens a lot is that we get encouraged or we often get shaped by our environment and our circle of influence. So it's easier now if you don't have people in your life that you know in real life to kind of connect with people online, right? Like follow the inspiring accounts and listen to the podcast but without even fire in your sights, right? Just saving as much as you were saving, investing. What did other people around you think? Were you having to do things differently in terms of your lifestyle, like your friends, your family? Because I can imagine too, like, was anyone around you doing this or you just kind of had to blaze the trail? (laughs) Oh, I I definitely had to blaze the trail because no one around me, my family, my friends, my community, even people I worked with, it really wasn't. And honestly, uh, Jamila, for so long, I was barely sure what I was doing. So I, so I'm just digging into as much as I could possibly dig into not being the expert and trying to learn myself. Now, probably the biggest influence or the biggest, the person that spent the most time around me was my daughter. And so she would ask a lot of things and I would explain a lot of things to her. So I figured once I could explain it to her, then I got it. So that was the main thing, but definitely no one in my real life that was interested in this stuff and the whole online social media and these content creators and blogs and podcasts and YouTube made a huge difference. Right. What I'm imagining though, did you get people on board with what you were doing after they saw your success or how did that go with people around you? Well, I mean, they didn't start seeing the success until like I said, I was going to retire. You know, I had a few really close friends that kind of knew and that I would talk to about them because I really wasn't interested in like blasting my story necessarily. Again, I'm still kind of figuring it out, but I I did a few, you know, you know, I was on your podcast and I did a couple things, but I wasn't interested in revealing everything because I was still working for my company and I just kind of wanted to not really keep it on a download, but I just wasn't ready to blast it out to everyone at that point. And honestly, out of respect for my employer, my boss was awesome. The company I worked for was awesome. So I had no reason to start talking so much about leaving if I had not had that discussion with them. Right, right. Okay, so 
if we take it back to when you first started investing, because I think it's interesting that you started around the time where it was like the crash, right? Like of 2008. And one of the things that you said to me in the email when we were corresponding was you kind of calculated that by the time you wanted to retire early, that the market would have a correction again. Yeah. So, you know, that we had such a bull run of a market for the last couple of years with like these momentous gains. And so that's not going to usually last forever. If you go back to the history of how the stock market works, you know, that we have a long usual gain period where we're, you know, people are earning a lot and people are investing and then there's typically a correction. So I would like to talk through that because if we're doing some calculations here, we're in a correction now, right? The market will come back. We don't know when, but then there will be another one in another 10 years or whatever that looks like. And so I think for now it's for people who are not prepared, there is an opportunity here to when this all settles to become more prepared for the next time. And then for people who were maybe a little more prepared, they are like maybe looking at someone like you, like, okay, but like, what does this look like? Like now, like how does someone withstand something like this that happens? So when you first started, let's talk about like the investing part of it. Did you make a lot of money when the market was down at that time? Yeah. So I definitely draw a lot of parallels between now, 2020, and 2008, okay? It was unprecedented time, okay? The stock market had crashed, and even though the market is cra- was crashing for different reasons, still, in the beginning, nobody really knew. It was just falling every day, and more, and more, and more. And so it was so scary. Nobody, I mean, people were taking their money out of the bank, You had big companies that, you know, went under. It was very scary. And they had the breaking news every single day, like you see now. So those, it feels like a lot like 2008, even though it's for a different reason. So what I started to do in 2008 is is learning about the stock market. And around that time, I did start investing in my 401k. So I didn't have a ton of money. The investment club, there was money I was putting in there, very small amounts, like $100 a month. But I guess the biggest thing was that the investment club, especially, and the smart people in there, they taught me that you want to buy low. I mean, most of us know that concept. So I started building up my confidence in that the stock market is going to come back. I'm not going to put my money in and then I'm going to lose it all forever. That's not how it works. And then I obviously was not able to put everything in all at once, but I started. And only with hindsight do I look back and say, man, that was a great time to start investing, but at least I wasn't on the sidelines. And the easiest way to start investing for most people is just with their employer-sponsored plan. At least do it up to the match. And if you can do more, that's even great. So right now, you're buying the stock market at a much lower price. Right. And so as time went on, again, obviously, I couldn't put it all in at once, but you know, we hit 2008, 2009, 2010. So about a year after 2008, that's when it started bouncing back and coming back. And I had purchased a few individual stocks on top of, you know, what I was doing in my 401k. And everything that I bought in 2008, man, it bounced hard and it's been on the plus side ever since. So that made me realize, okay, so this does make sense. Now, I do my own little research on, you know, the stock market history and generally how often do we have a correction? Of course, in 2008, everyone was asking these questions. Right. So I knew going into retirement that a market corrects, the stock market corrects about every eight to 10 years. So knowing that when my date was 2019, one, I already knew we were overdue for a correction. So because of that, I had to really put a strong strategy in place because I didn't want anything to come between me and my retirement date. So as we were hitting these all-time highs every day, I mean, if you look, we were up, what, 31%. The S&P 500 was up in 2019, 31%. So I'm scraping off the top as I'm saying, you know, I know there's probably a correction coming. So as we're hitting all these all-time highs in the stock market, I'm moving it into bonds or I'm moving it into cash. And I'm counting that as part of my three years that I wanted in place before I retired. Right. So we're talking now about you recognizing, realizing, because you're, again, you're being proactive. You're thinking ahead about, okay, I want to pull this trigger on early retirement and it may be the time that the market is crashing. So I'm not going to put all of my money or keep all of my money, at least in equities. And so when you say scraping off the top, I like you, um, you liken it to like overflowing of like a cup. Like when you had excess returns, you didn't keep it in equities. You started to then move it to more conservative investments like bonds. Right. Yeah. And some people may call that sort of reallocating or or balancing your portfolio. For me, 
I felt like every time we were reaching all time highs, the cup was overflowing. So instead of continuing to let it overflow, I moved it over to safer things. And honestly, you know, in January of 2020, you know, a month after I retired, when I saw that the market was up 31%, of course I'm kicking myself. I'm wishing that I had that extra money that I had in cash or bonds. I wish I had it invested, but I knew I had to look at what I had going on as an individual versus trying to get every ounce of gains that I possibly can. Right. And this is why it is so important, like everyone's journey, everyone's point of when they're going to need the money, it's going to be different. So you legit, like if you were someone who is not retiring anytime soon, doesn't need the money anytime soon, you wouldn't necessarily have to do this particular strategy right away. But if you are someone who's thinking, wow, it's coming up upon the time where maybe in a few years I want to retire, I don't want to have too much more money held up or tied to something so volatile, you can start to think through strategies that are going to be beneficial that can at least help you withstand the craziness that will usually happen at some point. Yeah. And I can say this also, Jamila. So back in 2008, I was not ready to retire. So as you know, the market's crashing and falling every day, I stayed almost 100% in the stock market because I wasn't ready to retire. I knew that I could have that money growing like crazy. And thank goodness I did, because this has been an amazing market the last, you know, 10, 11 years since 2008. And that definitely is something that I give credit to being able to reach my fine number as quickly as I did. The market just is hit, was hitting historical highs. So back in 2008, since I wasn't retiring, I kept all my money in equities and probably over that 10 year period, it might have been like maybe 90 percent in equities or in in the stock market and maybe 10% in something safe like bonds, but pretty much in the stock market all that time until I would say I started thinking hard about changing things a little bit. I would say maybe three years prior to when I thought I was going to retire. Mm -hmm. Now, I do have a question. When you were thinking about retiring, what were you thinking your life would be like? I know some of the pushback too is building a life that you don't have to retire from, right? So it's not that you're not going to never work again, but when you were thinking about retiring, what were your plans like to do afterwards? Okay, so that that is so important. So I'm like you, I hear a lot of people where they're retiring from something and they ask the question, what I'm going to do? So mine was just the opposite. It was the reverse because I started getting so interested in personal finance and financial literacy. And it literally is what lifted me out of poverty and put me on a path to where I could retire so early. I wanted to share that, especially with my own community. So I wanted to do that, but I never dreamed that I would ever be in a position to do that full time. And when I realized that I could retire early and actually focus on that and not worry about being put in the poorhouse if it didn't work or if I wasn't making big money or anything, I was just all about it. So even while I was working full time, I would do my financial literacy stuff. I would do classes and workshops and I mainly worked with like high school and college kids. So I love seeing their eyes light up and teach them about the stock market. I would play games with them, like giving away $2 bills and giving away gift cards of S&P 500 companies when they guess the right company. So I already had something that was I was very passionate about that I wanted to do and I dreamed of for a long time. And leaving my company, my job, I love my job. I, I love my boss. I love the people that I worked with. So it was very, very hard and, and really bittersweet to make that departure. Like I was literally about to cry the last day, but they all knew that I had this, you know, insane passion for educating people financially. And the only way I could do it was to make this pivot. Mm-hmm. So for me, I already knew what I was going to do for quite some time. I just never dreamed that I would be in a position to focus on it full time. Right. As you're thinking about when you're retiring, which this was, you know, a few years ago and you're like, okay, I'm going to start switching up where my dividends go, where I'm reinvesting, right. To get a more balanced portfolio than just hundred percent equity. The other thing you talked about is that you continue working. So I want to go back to this 25 times rule that people in the financial independence retire early space talk about which is if you hit 25 times, meaning if you save and have 25 times your annual expenses, for example, I don't have a calculator. So Jackie, if you know this really quickly, like let's just say you spend $50,000 a year or you want to spend 
$50,000 a year in early retirement. If you take 50,000 times 25, that's going to give you 1.25 million. So essentially you need 1.25 million saved and invested in a portfolio, you know, whether it's your 401k, Roth, taxable investments that can spin off money from your investments that you don't have to work. So one of the things that people talk about in being more conservative in approach is having more than that saved. Because think about like times like this, where if you are retiring or you're withstanding a market crash, you may need more because your portfolio, if it's dependent on the market, may decline. So I want you to talk through about how you started to be more conservative in your approach, like working longer, having more than enough cash, or at least you know a lot of cash saved up. Let's talk through those strategies. Yeah. So let me just kind of share my real numbers. So even before I retired, my expenses were somewhere around $40,000 a year. And that's one person. Tack on, you know, health insurance, who knows where that's going to be. Right now, I have a plan that's on the exchange that's pretty reasonable. So for me, it was about a million dollars was my number. Okay. So when I reached that number, the math all worked out, right? I have spreadsheets. I've looked at it a hundred different ways. The math was good, but I was trying to get my head around the fact that I'm not going to have a safe job. I'm not going to have a regular paycheck. Like I, all this is on my shoulders now. So I decided to work a little bit longer to have a cushion. By the time I retired, I had about 30 times my expenses but boy, that cushion made me feel really good. And, you know, as as we're in today, you know, March 2020, um, that was probably a very good decision. But the other part was that I enjoyed my job and I enjoyed what I did. So it wasn't like torture or anything like that. And it really gave me some time to think through my plan and to make sure I had everything in order that I needed to. I needed to look at the plans on the exchange to see how much health insurance was going to be. I needed to make sure I built up certain accounts um, that were, you know, liquid and, and ready for me to live on, you know, starting at the beginning of 2020. So I enjoyed having that because I didn't grow up around entrepreneurs and people that were running their own business and doing it on their own. So this was scary for me to just go out on my own. And having those extra two years, it helped me get my mind around it. And it helped me feel so much better about the decision that I was making. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I do want to go back because I know we're throwing out some numbers like so for some people, right? Like these are like huge numbers, like they may be starting with a lot of debt, with nothing maybe invested or maybe just, you know, a, a little bit and maybe their date is not 10, 15, 20 years out. But I do want to talk about how it can be done. Like so getting to one million dollars will probably have to like show like a compounding interest chart in the show notes or something. But even if you're starting out after you pay off the consumer debt, when you're starting out and even if you're going up to the company match, meaning you're investing in your 401k up until what the company matches you and still working on paying off debt and all that. Once you start and they say there's like the magic, I think once you hit the $100,000 invested point, like the compounding interest takes over. The money is still earning money, but it doesn't have to work as hard because some people look at this number like 1 million, 1.2, and they're just like, how will I ever get to that point? It doesn't seem realistic for some people. Right. Well, okay. So let me, let me throw out some ages here. So by the time I got married, I had some debt at that point. Now I didn't have a ton of student loan debt because even though I grew up poor, my dad taught me that you don't get debt. You work for what you need. So I didn't even know about student loans and things like that. Now, everyone has a unique set of cir circumstances. I believe my dad gave me a gift by teaching me not to take on debt. Although it could have it could have made things a little bit easier in college, right? I, maybe I didn't have to work so hard if I could, you know, have a little bit in uh, student loans. But once I got married, I I was able to save just a little bit. And so I would say the first 10 years until I was around 38 and I got divorced, I just did the company match. Like I didn't save any big money or anything. So I just started. If you just start, even if you only have $5 a month to save, at least you can create that habit. And since I had created that habit, when I finally, you know, was having my financial epiphany, it was not a very hard muscle to flex again, because I just, as I made more money, I started saving more money. So I went 10 years of just doing, I think it was like 3% or 6% was my company match. That's all I did for the longest. 
But once I started understanding everything and how this compound growth worked and reducing my taxable income and all those, you know, next level type things, I sped it up a little bit. And as I was making more money, I started throwing a lot more money at it. So I went a long time just doing the minimum, but I was doing something. Right, right. So we talked about HSAs in episode 40 at detail. So if you want more details on HSAs, you can check that out. But I do want to just touch upon some of the things that you're doing now, because one of the things people say is, well, if you retire early and you brought this up in the beginning, people are thinking, well, how do you access the money? Because part of it is like you're lowering your taxable income by investing in retirement accounts. But then these retirement accounts seem to be tied up until you can't touch it. So how does one access that early? So can you talk about how you've been accessing your money or how you prepared to be able to sustain your lifestyle in an early retirement? Yeah, that was probably my biggest question. It's like, how how do I get this money out before 59 and a half? Because we're all told you cannot touch your retirement until you're 59 and a half. But there are so many ways that you can get to your money. My first pot of money that I knew I would use are my taxable accounts, accounts that are not in a 401k or an IRA, no special tax advantage at all, you know, besides, you know, your, your capital gains. So probably my first year of retirement, $40,000, $45,000, that I had easily, you know, in a, in a taxable account. So that didn't matter. The other pots of money that I will be using over the next three or four years is my Roth IRA contribution. So for your Roth, I've, I've had a Roth IRA for about 15 years. So you're able to take the contributions, you know, not the earnings, but the contributions out penalty and tax-free anytime. There's no age limit. There's no amount of time that you have to have the money in the account or anything. So after 15 years, obviously that's built up. So I can get to that. And then my third bucket is my health savings account, as I mentioned. I think when I talked to you, Jamila, it might've been around 100,000. Right. It peaked out right before I retired at 140,000. So again, like you said, that compound growth. So from 100,000 to 140, I mean, it, it seemed like it just, you know, bounced like you were bouncing on a trampoline. So even in that health savings account, though, knowing that, hey, if things get rough and I need to pay for all of my medical expenses out of here, I need some of that liquid, too. So I, I put some of that in bonds when before it was all in the stock market. So that I could take out anytime. There's no age limit, no penalty, no nothing, as long as you use it for qualified health expenses. And for the health savings account, you know, since I've learned uh, is that you can also include qualified dental expenses and qualified vision expenses. So I got that covered because so many people end up filing for bankruptcy because of healthcare related expenses. So that was a pretty important account for me. Right. I think some of these things for some people, again, they don't realize that you can access the contributions in the Roth and things like the HSA if you keep the receipts and you're not using um, that money right away. So there are people right now listening and they might be thinking, okay, well, Jackie started in 2008. She didn't really have much or she was also nervous. What advice do you have for people now, right? Going through these times, going through maybe they have not lived through a previous market crash or were not old enough to actually have like the impact be so visceral. What kind of advice would you give to someone who hasn't started yet or who wants to start that's kind of nervous, but they want to be where you are like 12, 15 years from now, they want to be able to retire early and do something they love. What do you, what advice do you have for them to start? The advice I would give them is to understand the stock market and how your money works. Like I went back and looked at a chart of the S&P 500 and I saw that most years it was up. I looked at the dip in 2008. And I think the only reason why I'm not totally freaking out about the stock market now is because I have increased my knowledge level and I understand that this is a part of the cycle. Now, there's different reasons that the market will pull back, and certainly this is unprecedented, but it will come back. The stock market always comes back. But it's so scary when you're opening up your statement, your 401k statement or your your IRA statement, and it's all red and it's down 30, 40 percent. Who knows? But if you understand that this is a normal cycle, stocks can be volatile at times and it does bounce around. It's not a straight line. 
that you stay the course or you throw a little more money in when it's down. So that's the only thing that kind of helped me mentally not just go crazy about how this market is going and to know that my money is going to be okay long term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So really, it's like getting just educated and feeling more comfortable, like understanding that this is part of a pattern. Right. Normally, it's the fear of the unknown, right? And there's a lot of unknowns right now. But the stock market is not necessarily an unknown. We kind of know historically how it's performed. Like you can go back 100 years and the stock market has always come back. 2008, people thought the sky was falling. You know, 2001, September 11th. That was an unprecedented time that no one could have dreamed of, but it does come back. So I definitely draw some parallels between today and 2008 and 2001. And each time it came back and this will come back. Now, what do you do? Because, you know, we're all human. So even if we understand that on a mental level that it comes back, it's kind of crazy to see, you know, your gains like wiped out in a matter of minutes and your portfolio dropping. Like for me, honestly, I have not looked at (laughs) my investment accounts because one, I know that they're down. Like, I don't want to see how much they're down. Like, I just know that they're down and that's not going to really be helpful to me unless I'm ready to actually invest. Then that's when I'll probably like peak and like press to kind of like buy more. Right. But what kind of things have you been doing to not freak out or kind of, cause I feel like if you pay attention, like, so it's funny, right? I usually can withstand kind of the craziness of media and the sky's falling, and I can usually withstand that. But if you look at it long enough, you may also believe that the sky is falling and that it will never be daylight again. So what have you been doing to kind of brace yourself with everything? Yeah, we all have an emotional side, and our behavior is not always in sync with what is logical. So for me, I've been focusing on all the other things that, you know, bring me joy or helping out people that I know that need it. You know, I care about my community, my family, and a lot of friends and family will call me up and ask me about the stock market. And I try to put a little bit of logic to it to them, but acknowledge, you know, everybody's scared right now because we are afraid of the unknown, but try to carry on with the things that you are already doing and try to keep it you know, it will never be normal in this time, but to focus on those, even if it just gives your brain a rest. Like for me, I have started a master's program. And part of that is a financial therapy portion. And that taught me a lot about, you know, the emotional side of money. So what what's your true concern or what what's truly bothering you? What is really like scaring you? And usually it's more so that, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to not have the things that I need. So those are the types of things that we really care about, not necessarily money per se. The money part will come back, but for us to feel good and feel okay, we just need to try to focus on some of the things that we enjoy doing. Like, like for instance, I have a classmate. Several of them have been impacted by this coronavirus. Some of them are in the medical field where they are deathly afraid every day to go to work because they're afraid that they're going to catch it. And so I know that they've been struggling in the class probably. It's just hard to focus. So I um, started a Zoom study group and I personally made sure I wanted to invite the people that were saying they had a hard time, if only to give them a momentary like refuge from the coronavirus and everything else that's going on. You know, we we laughed a little bit. It was a great conversation and we got our studying done. And I think that it made them feel a little bit better that, okay, I don't have to stress so much about class. The study group was helpful. And I got to know, you know, just things that just temporarily distract you from the big headlines that can just strike the fear of God in all of us. Yeah. And I I love that you brought that up because, you know, now is the time where, you know, while we're talking about money and it's a great time to invest if you have the money, a lot of it right now, I think for some people, like they can't even wrap their head around that. Like there's so many more immediate things they need to worry about because there's so many people maybe who are not in the position to invest because they're worried about their job. They're worried about paying their bills and like more basic like level stuff. So I also say too, like if you don't currently have the money because of, you know, some uncertainty in your life and 
things going on, like that's okay too. Don't feel like, oh, I missed this. I'm never going to make it. Like I missed this and now I'll never be able to invest, right? Like that's also the thing I want to make sure I'm saying because, you know, I also feel like all the talk about money too, like if you're not in the position to save and invest it at the moment can make someone feel a little bit like they're missing out. Yeah. I definitely wasn't smart enough to know that starting during the last financial crisis back in 2008, that that would be the win that kind of pushed me forward to be able to retire as early as I am. So I will just share that it was one of the best times to start just using hindsight. Things might be rough right now. And if you can't even put food on the table, then the idea of investing is like far-fetched. But you will get to the point to where you can save something. Like I said, even if it's $5 a month, you're creating the habit. And at least you can say you took action doing something. And when things recover, you know, who's no, who knows what's going to happen with the stimulus package. Um, but you, you will get back. The market will come back. Our economy will come back and things will be okay. So it's probably a good moment to just kind of wrap your hands around the magnitude of this, what it's going to look like five years from now, and are you going to use it as a teachable moment and a learning experience or not? Right. Love that. Love that. Now, I do want to, I mean, talk a little bit about your daughter, because as you know, you're talking about raising her, and I'm sure she's seen you, you know, work hard to to do all this, retire early. And then you mentioned you were explaining concepts to her. So I'm wondering now at her age at 24, has she um, taken on some of your personal finance habits in terms of, is she kind of really savvy when it comes to money? She definitely is showing signs of it. Um, She's 24 now, but when she was, I would say high school age, college age, not so much. So it's so nice to see maybe the fruits of my labor kind of pay off where she's doing all these cool things. And for for her, she's obviously a different generation. So I will say this, especially for the younger people, it doesn't really matter how you start. Like, for instance, I try to teach her about investing multiple ways. And you know how she finally learned that she got excited about? She started using the Acorns app. Yeah. And she came to me one day and said, look, mom. And, and I would ask her a bunch of questions because in my mind, you know, your mom too, in my mind, I'm always thinking, okay, this is a teachable moment. So if she's excited about Acorns. I mean, I don't use it because, you know, I use a lot of different other platforms, but I'm asking her questions. I'm like, oh, show me how it works. And then she'll, she'll say, yeah, you know, it just rounds up the change and it gets invested. And then I'll ask her questions like, well, what is it investment? What, what is it invested in? And she'll say, oh, I don't know. Let me see. And so she, I would keep asking her questions. So she will show me all these things, but that is what got her interested in investing. And again, it's not anything big, but she started and she's doing something. So every time she makes a purchase or whatever, they round up the change and there's all these other things she can do. She can make regular deposits. So she is investing and she's doing something. And there's, there's so many other ways that I'm, I'm really proud of, you know, seeing what she's done. And I finally think, wow, she really got that lesson. Yeah. And it's so interesting because, you know, as a mom myself and my kids are pretty still really young, you often wonder like how what you've been able to do translates to like them. And, you know, I've had people on the podcast before. They're so resilient. It's been through so much with their money. And sometimes it doesn't translate like to their kids, like their kids are not as savvy or, you know, maybe they're, you know, they're still young. So they're not at the point where they are in their own financial awakening. Right. Just like we all kind of had our own moments where we were either not paying attention or doing the the minimum. So I feel like our kids are going to have their own experience, no matter how much. I mean, you want to hope that you talk to them and you teach them and they can hit the ground running and be millionaires by the time they're 30. But sometimes, you know, they have to walk their own path also. Right, exactly. So you never know what's going to stick with them, what's not. And I, I did try to teach my daughter with action and teachable moments versus trying to sit her down and talk directly to her because kids don't really learn like that. So at 24, I, I am very proud at all the little nuggets I'm seeing that she picked up on where I thought she was not listening. Yeah. Yeah. So Jackie, tell me a little bit more about what your plans are. So I know right now we're recording this at the end of March. This might not be released until April. So who knows, right? Like what happens between now and this comes out. But I'd love to hear for you what your like plans are, how you're planning to withstand this. Are you investing at all right now? Right? Like, do you feel like the, you see the, the opportunity or are you kind of just like, 
keeping to your plan. Um, I'd love to just hear some of the strategies and your thought process going forward. Well, this is kind of where that excess comes into play as well. So I had 30 times my expenses versus 25. So even though I'm I'm cool with the, you know, three years worth of expenses, I'm not going to touch that. But I still have some that's liquid that I have been investing a little bit. Um, I, I do invest in some single stocks. I'm a long-term growth investor. So I like great companies like, you know, Apple, Berkshire Hathaway, some of the solid companies that anytime they're on sale, I'm going to buy more. And I may just, you know, some of the money that I put in bonds, again, this is beyond my three years of liquid cash, but I may put a little bit of that back into the market because it's such a great time to do it. So I've been doing a a few things, um, but not a whole lot. I'm just happy I've got my three years and I can, you know, breathe a little because of that. Yeah, I think the most important thing here, because I know so many people, if you're listening to this podcast, like not only do you want to get out of debt, do you want to save, but ultimately... You want to reach this level that you can quit a job you don't love or keep the job that you love and know that you can still maybe take a break to travel the world, whatever that is. But I love the fact that you talk about saving the two to three years of expenses like this runway, because I think everyone like I mean, that is this is this is a really um, huge goal because some people are still working on that like three to six month emergency fund. But looking past that, like this buffer this amount, like this FU fund, as I call it, or this big, this money that you're able to use to live while you're figuring out how to access your account, your retirement accounts, I think is so important because it helps to withstand you from the market fluctuations. And let's just say maybe it's not the point that you are completely can early retire. Having that much money saved up can allow you to take a break, right? Like maybe you don't reach complete financial independence, but there's a job change or you need to do something different, maybe stay home, raise kids, whatever that looks like. That to me is like the next level, like that when we talk about personal finance, there's there's the like, you know, save 10% and pay off your debt, save three to six months of emergency. But this is like that next level stuff that really puts you in a position to live the life like that you really want. Yeah, and, and I just want to stress that, you know, I grew up in poverty. So I started on ground zero. Like I wasn't given any advantages. I had to pay my own way through school. So I know if I could do it starting there, then most people can at least get on that path. I mean, when I when I talk with high school and college kids, I love it so much because they have so much time to get it right. And I will show them compound growth and how it works. You know, I'll tell them like $50 a week is all it takes to be a millionaire in 40 years. And I'll show them the graph and everything and their eyes get really big. So you don't have to start with a whole lot to be on this path. And I think that traditionally the fire movement and becoming financially independent, there's a lot of advantages that people may have had, whether it's not having to pay for school or being able to move back home at moments and things like that. Even if you don't have all of that, you can still start and you can end up retiring way early than you ever dreamed of if you want to. But once you meet, reach your financial independence, for me, the only reason why I truly had to retire was because what I was doing at work was so completely different than what I was dreaming about, which was financial literacy. So that's why I had to make the pivot. But if I was maybe in an industry where it was close to financial literacy, I might have been able to make it work. So it's going to look a little different for um, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. Thank you so much, Jackie. I mean, this was amazing. And I know for sure that this will inspire people. This will give them some actionable tips. This really, I think, will change some lives. So first, let's talk about where people can find you, because I'd love for like you to share your social media handles just in case people are just like, oh, I want to follow her story, her journey and reach out and connect. Okay, well, they can just go to my website, which is moneyletters Two. Dot com. Uh, my book is called Money Letters to My Daughter, which that's been out for many years, but it is on Amazon. And then on uh, Instagram, which I know that's where you hang out a lot, Jamila, I am Phenomenal Woman, and that's F-I as in financial independence, Phenomenal Woman, and that's giving homage to my favorite uh, poet, Maya Angelou. Yes, yes. And I will link all of that in the episode show notes. Thank you so much, Jackie, for coming on again. Thanks, Jamila. This was so awesome. Okay, Journeyers, I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Jackie. I mean, I was so happy she reached out and wanted to share her story with me and with you. 
because I think it's such a timely, relevant story to share. I mean, talking about how she started investing in the down market, the last downturn in 2008, and where she is today, that she was able to come out ahead, retire early, and withstand what's going on. I think it's a story of hope that if you're in a situation right now, whether you can invest or not, I know there's a lot of uncertainty for you and some, for some people with their jobs and income, but there is a light at the end of this and I want you to keep that hope. So I hope that this was able to give you some context on what like a real person who achieved financial independence and retire early, what they're doing to be able to withstand this. So I hope you enjoyed that. Don't forget, you can get the episode show notes for this episode by going to journeytolaunch.com or click the description of wherever you're listening to this. And you can still grab your jumpstart guide for free to help you on your journey to financial freedom by going to journeytolaunch.com slash jumpstart. If you want to support me and the podcast and love the free content and information that you get here, here are four ways that you can support me in the show. One, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen. Whether that's Apple Podcasts, that purple app on your phone, your Android device, YouTube, Spotify, wherever it is that you happen to listen, just subscribe so you are not missing an episode. And if you're happening to listen to this in Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe there. I appreciate and read every single review. Number two, follow me on my social media accounts. I'm at Journey to Launch on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I love, love, love interacting with journeyers there. Three, support and check out the sponsors of this show if you hear something that interests you. Sponsors are the main ways we keep the podcast lights on here, so show them some love for supporting your girl. Four, and last but not least, share this episode, this podcast with a friend or family member or coworker so that we can spread the message of Journey to Launch. All right, that's it. Until next week, keep on journeying, journeyers. <laughs>